0: Hello all and welcome to our podcast, we are The Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Hello! Thank you again for joining us for another conversation about some of our favourite films. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Keenotomic. We are also open for abuse, adulation and everything in between at Keenotomic at gmail.com. Um, so today we have our first episode of our Bustic Eating Special. Before I announce the film and ask Nick what he thought of it, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that I am very excited about this. And the next couple of episodes in which we celebrate 135 years since the great Joseph Frank Keaton VI was born. Uh, 4th of October, Pequot, Kansas, U.S. of A. So this is the first of the three Buster Keaton special birthday extravaganza. Uh, disclaimer, there may be um, an anti-MGM ranting further down the road. <laughs> um, <laughs> also I believe the International Buster Keaton Society are are celebrating his birthday And uh, I think they are also celebrating 25 years of, of existence And of honouring his life So give them a follow, um, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes um, If you want to know more about the life and career of Buster Keaton There will be a lot of content from them as well So without further ado, let's talk about the 1928 Buster Keaton film that inspired Walt Disney Steamboat Bill Jr directed by Buster Keaton and Charles Reisner Um, unlike other major slapstick comedian directors of the silent era Mr Keaton didn't like to have his name in the writing directing credits or whatever else he was part of although he was part of the writing process as well as the directing process so here is a quick synopsis Following through on a promise to his mother, William Canning Jr. goes to River Junction to meet his father, who has not seen him since he was a child. The younger Canning isn't quite what the elder was expecting, but the, other, the old man has bigger problems. He is being put out of business by J.J. J. King, who not only owns the local hotel and bank, but has recently introduced a new paddle wheel steamer that puts Canning's older boat, the Stonewall Jackson, to shame. When a fierce storm hits River Junction, Bill Jr. is forced to save Kitty, who happens to be J.J. King's daughter, her father and his father. So, Nick, what did you think of Steamboat Bill Jr.?
1: So um, this would be my fourth Buster Keaton film. Um, obviously, I, I, before we did this podcast, I'd seen The General. Our first ever episode was on Sherlock Jr. and uh, The Playhouse um as well as uh the the great movie that is jackass the movie. Um so this is you know I I've beca- I am I'm, I'm now coming to know what to expect from a Buster Keaton film. Um <laughs> a little disclaimer as well, uh prior to recording I have been told by Danny to be on my best behaviour. Um due to the importance of these next three episodes, uh because of how much they mean uh, mean to her and I for one can't uh I'm very much uh happy to be a part of, you know, these these next three episodes in particular and having a chance to kinda of talk about well actually correction, having a chance to find out a lot more about Buster Keaton than what we actually got to cover in our first episode. Which was one of the reasons why we, we uh um kind of decided on three episodes over his birthday period because we felt that there was more to be said. Um yeah a lot more <laughs> a lot more um which i' you know I'm sure we're gonna get into in the next seven next couple of episodes um so yeah now i i I'll, I'll, right i with, with Bill jr i i'm gonna get it out of the way for first, I still prefer the general, I still think the general is his best film of the ones i've seen i I think that is a masterpiece, it still remains so. Um and despite the fact that Sidney Bill Jr. and Sherlock Jr. both come very very close to the general, I I still think the general just feels so much more complete as a movie. However, uh, as like with all of his previous work, I did I did enjoy this film uh, a lot. I I really really did. Um, you know we 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 spoke about in the past about his comedic timing. You know he's willing us to kind of do anything for the shots. Um, his insanely brilliant physicality you know his his amazing expression on his face um, oh, no. and kind of all, all of that is on show here and and it's it's kind of like an atypical it doesn't say atypical because that makes it sound as though it's an average stereotypical buster keaton film but it just it seems like this is what you come to expect. You, you know, you go see a Buster Keaton film, this is what you're going to get. And I think this is kind of a per- perfect encapsulation of what that is. Um, kind of in terms of, like, the film's plot as a plot, it this is kind of where one of my issues, I wouldn't say issues with it, but the, one of the reasons why I prefer the general because... I feel like that like I said, like that, that, that kind of like I said feels a lot more kind of complete and actually well thought out in terms of story. This does have a does have a story and it, it does kind of th- it does kind of flow quite well, but almost like Sherlock Jr. it seems to go from almost one sort of skit to another. Um which is is fine, like I have no issues with it. I was enjoying it and kind of seeing how it, you know, being taken on this ride kind of thing. Um, and then you kind of end up with this... The, the 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 final, like, cyclone third set piece, you know. Like, this cyclone comes and hits the... What are they, what's the place called? It's River...
0: River uh, Junction.
1: River Junction. Um, and it kind of just almost, like, decimates the whole entire, entire city... entire place, you know, like... Like, um, Dorothy's house in, in Kansas kind of just upends it. Um, and it, 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 you know, that whole thing was really quite surreal, and it, it it did, like I said, it was really surreal, like Buster Keaton just attached to a tree at one point, um, <laughs> and just flying through the air. And
0: that was actually done for real, by the way.
1: <laughs> okay, and then, uh, you know, and then just kind of the hospital kind of being lifted up, and then him in the bed, and then just the bed kind of like... <laughs> Just wheeling along the ground, and and you know, it, it like you said, it, it it really allowed it really allowed the action to go wherever it needed to, and really allowed you know, like the plot threads, you know, what there were to kind of just that have been built up over the, over the film to kind of end up being resolved quite quite well, um, and it uh, you know it allowed situations for these, um, I don't want to say jokes, but for the. Practicality of Buster Keaton's performance to kind of be put into one situation from the next, you know, the main, mm-hmm. the main thing being the the house falling, um, which we yeah. you know we spoke about, we we spoke about that in our first podcast, you know, about the fact that 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 um, many people have have emulated and and done the same stunt. And it was honestly, it was really, really nice because I've seen that clip a million times. But it's really kind of I mean, nice. Yeah,
0: everyone. I think everyone has seen. Even if they haven't seen a, a Buster Keaton film, they must have seen that scene. That,
1: that yeah. So yeah, and it's kind of good to kind of get the context, um, yeah. even if the context was really weird. <laughs> um, like um, yeah, I just didn't didn't expect didn't expect that, and. It was. I no, I I re- I did, I did enjoy this film. It kind of sounds as though I'm being really critical, but I'm, I'm just trying to kind of. No, kind you of, are
0: supposed to be. I think I think it's good that you. I'm, I'm trying to
1: be. I'm trying to be quite objective about it. I really, really don't want to go into like gushing mode because I feel like, you know, it's very, very easy to do that. Um, I felt that his chemistry with um what's her name marion Bri- uh, byron byron um i thought was really really lovely i i there, there there really did seem to be an actual spark between the two of them and i you know their meet cute at the barbers was really quite I nice know. and really sweet but they knew
0: each other from before.
1: um yeah yeah it's just what i mean it just seemed really yeah. quite it just seemed it was really cute it seemed really genuine and and you know it's really hard to kind of you know, like in, for me in silent movies, is you know, I'm not kind of used to it, but it, it, I I would, I I found it really difficult to kind of, you know, physical kind of chemistry on screen is maybe a little bit more stunted because you don't have like, you, you know, the sound to go with it, the speaking to go with it, but here, like, you can see it in their faces and in their actions, which is the sign of really great, you know, chemistry between, between, you know, actors. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> The so the relationship between you know the father the you know the kind of the opening kind of sequence with the 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 white coronation and then and then hmm. kind of the um I say so that the way he's dressed and his the way he acts and the way he walks and his whole kind of posture and everything in and, and the you know the implications towards towards that you know towards hmm. that and what the father thinks of it and you know it 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 it. it <laughs> It was played for last, but it I found that like the last I it just seemed really quite dated. Um I don't you know, I, it was kinda of like the kind of joke, you know, oh your your son is, you know, too cultural for this world. And it it I know it's a very, very stereotypical kind of joke and it I think I think it was I think Buster at the start, you know, was played off as more effeminate than anything and he well, did yeah,
0: have... that was the joke I mean the joke was not just about him being culture it was more about him being not, not only a city boy but he might be gay yeah and, and that doesn't go uh, I mean yeah it might be a bit dated but at the same time it kind of plays because it's quite well bookended because in the end he does manage to save the day yeah even though he was he was the effeminate boy
1: yeah no I yeah I, I yeah I, I yeah I, 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 it just kind of, I don't know. Maybe it kind of got me the wrong way when it, when it when I saw it. There was of uh, the funny bit with the the gun where it was just like the, yeah. the court which I thought was quite and, funny. Yeah,
0: um, and also because he was expecting his his son to be taller than him. the 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 size thing was always downplayed in Keaton, Keaton's films. Um, we'll talk about next in, in the next episode uh, when he's paired with the great Joel Roberts, who was like humongous okay um and you i think that's kind of like the the gag is he or Cha- chaplain also did it he was always sort of paired with someone much much bigger than him yeah
1: i i think there was there was you know the the said the, it was it was quite, like i said it just felt the film just kind of felt like this kind of series of of almost like skits as, as well which was just a, th- a through line of a plot um just to get from a to b and you know i was a little bit disappointed almost disappointed that, that that there wasn't kind of more between him and the girl um maybe between him the girl and then the girl's father but it just kind of seemed to be between his father and him and i i i don't know like i i said it i kind of feels like it sounds like i'm being right negative but i'm really not it's just i don't know i i did like this film quite a lot i really did um and yeah no i i think yeah, yeah i did i did i did like the film yes i did
0: cool i'm, I'm yeah. so we, we still to... we
1: still have a podcast right yeah we're still going
0: yeah <laughs> i mean i think we we agreed that we will have a podcast when you're when you agreed to let me sort of kind of do the takeover for three episodes and talk about bus keaton for three episodes more or less. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that um But yeah, I think what you say about there not being much to the story is kind of what you get when Buster Keaton was left at his own devices. So what he's working, sort of like procedure was you would have, I think there's a quote somewhere where he says like, we would have the beginning and we would have the ending and the kind of middle would take it of itself. Um, so they wouldn't actually know what, what to do in the middle but they would kind of play it for laughs and when they were stuck for for an idea they would stop playing baseball on set and at some point someone would get an idea and they would kind of start shooting again that was kind of his way of working uh, when he was independent and this is the last independent film he made um so yeah, you kind of you're onto something there when you say there's not much to the story because there wasn't much to the script. Initially, they had planned to have a flooding as the um sort of um, disaster at the end, and then they changed to a cyclone because I think recently there had been a, a flooding in Mississippi and they didn't want to sort of rub people the wrong way. Um, like make fun of their plight or whatever so that kind of Took the budget over over the book the line and it didn't make its money at the box office and his brother-in-law um, Joseph Skank was not happy about it and yeah um, But he didn't have much to be unhappy about because uh, during the production of this film he basically sold Buster Eaton to MGM and his whole unit Um, and this would be the last film he made with United Artists as an independent artist and from that point on he would make films for MGM and he wouldn't be able to do his own stunts anymore because he was an asset and he would not be allowed to get hurt so when he I think I might have mentioned this in in our um, other uh, Buster Keaton episode that when he does the stunt with the house falling on top of him he he was very very upset he had just received the call that his contract would be moved to mgm and he would not have creative freedom anymore so he was very very upset and he didn't really care if if he would get crushed or not i think later on he did say that he wouldn't have done it um if he'd been like clear-headed but he wasn't at the point at that time uh, at the same time, he was always a bit of a daredevil, and he was very, very pre- precise in everything he did. So, yeah. Um, so during his heyday, when he had full control of the production unit, the cameramen were always instructed never to stop filming, even if a stunt went wrong. So there have been times where his death would have been captured on camera. But more on that on a, on a future episode. Um, so yeah, this was last considered by many his last great film because of this creative control that he had, where, where he could stop for baseball breaks whenever he was stuck for an idea. Um, but yeah, I, I really loved this film. Um, I think um, it it got really, really cool gags throughout. Um, a few idea, a few more notes on the production. During the hurricane se- sequence, there's a scene that pays homage to his childhood um, on the vo- vaudeville stage. I think you, you see, there's a uh, he goes inside, and he he runs into a, there's a there's a um, um, dummy, and he turns his head to face Keaton, and then he's startled and he runs away in the, into the background. And this is based on a real experience where he was a kid and he became fascinated with this dummy who belonged to a ventriloquist and then he wanted to steal it and when he went at night to steal it, the ventriloquist kind of knew that he was going to come and take it away and he slipped into his props off stage and when Keaton approached he brought the dummy to life and then Keaton just ran away scared. So yeah, he kind of like paid homage to his childhood fears in that one. I wanted to mention um, t- uh, Buster Keaton's technical director, Fred Gabury, who was responsible for the sets and in particular for the rigging gags and the re-rigging, um, especially the tree that w- gets uprooted at one point and you see Buster sort of hanging on for dear life. Um, that was Fred Gabri, who was his technical director and he basically was in charge of changing the the sort of sets because they substituted, like I said, they they were supposed to have a flood and they had to sort of change it for a cyclone and It caused not only delays, but everything went over budget. Skank wasn't wasn't happy Um, So multiple buildings were required to splinter into a million pieces collapse inwards Um, in one particular notable instance lose its facade and, and plop to the ground when With pinpoint accuracy, and like I said, he was a stickler for um. Baskin was stickler for accuracy. We will never we won't get to talk about the general, so I'll just mention this here because I mean, like you said, you've seen the general. If you remember the scene where he has to um blow a cannon to attack the train in front of him, he had to use tweezers to put gunpowder in the cannon for one scene um but um previous takes he actually knocked himself unconscious because the 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 blast was too powerful um so in order to get the cannon right at the right point um he had to use tweezers to put gunpowder in in the hole so yeah fred gabri had his work cut out for him he worked with with buster from the very beginning from like 1920 onwards and it was a very very good um working relationship and yeah um I just wanted to mention that like you you did mention how great the sort of his face and his um physicality is and i i just i get i get mesmerized by his by his whole persona and his whole countenance. The way he looks ejected is just perfection. I know he never smiled. I know he never just. He always, always very deadpan. But his eyes express so much. Um, and one of my like you said, the, the chemistry with with the girl is 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 incredible. And one of my favorite scenes is when he's in the shop and they meet and he smells her hair, and it's just one of those cute, very very cute moments. And um the, the hat scene of course that where he tries on all the different hats is classic um did you notice his face when the shop assistant put the trademark pork pie hat on him
1: i saw that and that was um i was wait honestly during that scene i was waiting and waiting for that to come <laughs> as though like that would be like you know almost like in in uh the man with no name trilogy where you know in in the good the bad the ugly you know he slowly gets yeah. his Kind of outfit. I figured, like yeah. you know, I thought maybe this was like you know the origin <laughs> story of that. You know, obviously it no, wasn't because it came last.
0: it was just for one second. I He's like, that's oh. quite funny. Yeah, yeah, because he he only wears that hat in his short films. He doesn't. I mean, he does wear it in our hospitality, but later on he kind of loses it because he kind of goes like in 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 the full feature, like long long. Um, for feature films, he doesn't. He he tries to sort of move away from from his persona, from his short film persona. So it, if you if you look at like say Chaplin, Chaplin will always have him like the the tramp as the main guy, whereas Busty is different people. So he's not just the tramp guy or the pork pie hat guy. He'll he he'll, he'll be different guys. Um, But yeah, and I wanted to end with my notes with this quote that I found um, from one of the greatest female screenwriters of classic Hollywood, Anita Luz, and she said in her book, um, A Cast of Thousands, quote, I used to think that looking across a pillow into the fabulous face of Buster Keaton would be more thrilling destiny than any screen career. And I believe, end quote, and I believe um, it might have been a jab directed at she who must not be named, wife number one. I I will rant on her when we get to talk about our hospitality, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> so yeah, stay tuned for the rant on wife number one, Lady Voldemort herself, she who must not be named.
1: Okay. <laughs> stay tuned for that listeners
0: <laughs> cool so yeah glad you enjoyed it I think you might like the next film better well the next Buster Keaton film better I know you're not going like, to like the the film we're talking about we are. we've paired um, simple Bill Jr. with because you've suggested it and I kind of felt that there were quite a few comparisons like similarities in, in terms of story, in terms of like force of nature, you have to battle with the forces of nature so to speak to get the girl.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um the the forces of nature in particular. So we we so the second film is Scott Pilgrim vs the world, uh from two thousand and ten, directed by British director uh Edgar Wright. It's worth saying British like director him. because we don't, we haven't really. I don't think we've had a British director so far on the podcast. Are we not? I don't think so. I think this oh, is. I think, no, is our first, I think Edgar Wright is our first. I think Edgar br- Wright is our first British director. Um, oh, could we? Char- or, really Charlie did. Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. He counts. Doesn't exist. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Right. Yeah. so right, We got. We had Charlie Chaplin, but yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So British director Edgar Wright. Um, from 2010 starring uh, <laughs> the cast list is insane uh, Michael Cera, uh Mary Elizabeth Winstead um, as the basically Scott program Ramona Flowers I'll probably go into the cast a bit more uh, when we talk about when we get there um, so yeah uh, like Danny uh, with Sneak Bill Jr which she she loves and she adores oh. I love and adore this film and I'm very, quite excited and apprehensive as to what Danny thinks <laughs> of Scott Program versus the world. So take it away.
0: Right. So I really liked it. Uh, having said that, I will have to um, confess that I might have tuned out during some other fight scenes <laughs> because they were insane. And they were insanely game, whatever. Um, it was just like video gamey bonanza, and I just, you know, it was very well made. It was very like spectacular. Um, but yeah, I. Other than that, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I was kind of, I mean, I knew Michael Cera from like his Juno days, and I thought he was. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't think he grew as cute as in juno i really liked him in juno um his hair was indeed very shaggy um and that was part of the story and apparently part part of his charm but also i thought he scott pilgrim was a bit of an ass
1: scott pilgrim i've i wrote a review i've seen this film like nine times now um probably more than that So I wrote a review on my letterbox where it was literally was the word, it's just a sentence saying, Scott Pilgrim is not the hero of this story. And I've said on multiple occasions to people, despite the fact that I love this film, Scott Pilgrim is a dick. Um, having been a 22 year old (laughs) man, um, who kind of was dating a high schooler, correction, 19 year old, um... You know, at the time, I, I, yeah, I'm totally on board with Scott Program being a dick, because uh, he yeah, is a terrible I mean, I person. I understand.
0: I under, yeah, he's not a great person. I understand. Well, I understand him dating the younger girl, but why would he just, yeah, go through all the trouble of all the seven evil exes? to get to Ramona I mean I like hey don't get me I'll get to Ramona in a minute but yeah I just think I just I didn't didn't like him particularly I mean if he yeah I just don't like him particularly I thought his roommate was the best character ever
1: yes Wallace
0: I love him Kieran Culkin is just incredible he made me laugh the most I just loved him I loved how he was just like appearing from like stage left just like sliding into the screen it was just brilliant <laughs> and when he was just sitting all the boyfriends from Hannah Kendrick it's just brilliant <laughs>
1: Yes, that was that's a that's such a recurring joke in the comics as well. Yeah. Um uh, yeah.
0: I yeah, I just i I really liked um Alison Pill as Kim, the drum girl. She's I thought she was really great actress. And I spent most of the tra- film trying to figure out what, what else I've seen her in quite recently. And I think it was Vice. And I realised that she was also Zelda Fitzgerald in Midnight in Paris. Yes. So she's really, really good. And Ellen Wong who played Knives, the teenage girl, I think she was I thought she was lovely. And I was rooting for her the whole time and I was happy at the end that she realized she was too good for Scott because she was.
1: I have a story about that, but yeah, we'll get onto that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I just yeah, I liked her. Um yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winston was good. Um I yeah I just again I I didn't feel there was that much chemistry between her and Michael Sarah to be fair I don't know um I love the editing I think it made the film what it was I loved how they snuck in I was just very excited when I I, I heard this Seinfeld theme song for a split second and I'm like oh my god this is brilliant um so yeah I I love the editing it was just brilliant how they did it and how they were like like oh the extra gamey uh things. Um. Yeah. Although I didn't like, I said I don't care much about the whole comic book thing. I think we've established that in the very recent past, if I remember correctly. Uh, <laughs> but but this one was fun. I, I I really liked it, and I did. I mean, I as a former blue purple hair owner, I I liked Ramona a, a fair amount. Ah uh, yeah. It was, it's not, I mean, I like Edgar Wright. I think he's a brilliant director. Um, This was no Baby Driver or Shaun of the Dead, but I really liked it. And I have one more note, and I think you know what I'm going to say. Go on, bring it. (laughs) Oh my God, Chris Evans eyebrows, man. (laughs) (laughs) I almost died laughing. I just, I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but it was just like, it doesn't look like him, but he's got those eyebrows and he just can't get over the eyebrows. You just look at him like, that's that's not Chris Evans. Yes, it is. It was just like, what the fuck? I almost, yeah, it was just really, really good. No. And I liked, of course, I like the stuntman joke. I really enjoy that. I felt that was like I th- I felt like that was for Buster Keaton. I felt like you know I'm yeah. nothing without my stuntmen. I'm like yeah you're not, and Buster Keaton did his own stunts all the time.
1: Well, those 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 men actually were actually Chris Evans' stuntmen. <laughs> yeah. Like they weren't just random people. <laughs> they were actually his stuntmen, which is quite cool.
0: But yeah, um, yeah, very teen oriented. Um, it doesn't go um, involve any plans to go to the Winchester while fighting a b- bunch of j- zombies but it was good. it was good fun
1: yeah I, I this i mean this film is is for me it's just so full of love and care and passion you can see that everybody is on board with it um and i you know there there's never been like a film like this before and I, there hasn't been one since uh, many films have tried to do it but i but Edgar Wright, there's only one Edgar Wright, and his visual, like frenetic, uh, kineticism, and, and the, you know his camera work and the and the editing, you know, I think it's never been so perfectly done in this, and I think it's never been so perfectly matched with a piece of source material Meryl, that that wasn't his own. Um, this was. You know, this was adapted from a comic book series, uh Scott Pilgrim, um the, the comic book series. Each book is uh titled a different uh different title. The the title Scott Pilgrim vs. the world is the third book, I think, if I remember rightly. Probably gotten that completely wrong. Um they were written and drawn by uh half Korean, half Canadian um Brian Lee O'Malley. Um and he pretty much released one a year from 2004 to 2010 uh with the sixth book uh, Scott Pilgrim's Final Stour uh, being released about 2 weeks before the film went uh, before the film went wide um the first iteration of the script uh from Edgar Wright and Michael Bacall was kind of taken from the first three books um at the time Edgar Wright was uh production of Hot Fuzz and he was watching a lot of Arrested Development. And I don't know if you're familiar with Arrested Development, but um Michael Serra. So Michael Serra plays a character called George Michael um in Arrested Development. Um if you think he's adorable in Juno, you need to see him in the in the first three seasons of Arrested Development. Um him being playing off of playing off of uh, Jason Bateman. Um uh, pretty much the whole cast of Arrested Development. In fact, it's a it's a fantastic series. Um, but he watched that and was like if only Michael Sarah was a little bit older and he'd be perfect for the role of Scott Um, and yeah uh, subsequent drafts kind of took into account the the following books that came out um, except for the last one Um, so what we end up kind of having is what ended up happening was you had a film adaptation of a comic book series with a different ending to the actual comic book Um, the comic book ended with scott and ramona getting together the film's original ending had it had knives and scott getting back together um knives can
0: do so much better
1: and knives could do so much better and they they kind of realized their mistake almost and basically were just like we you know we need to we need to change this and thank god they did thank god they did they rewrote the ending to have Scott and Ramona get back together, um because in my opinion, they deserve each other, <laughs> yeah, um Scott's a dick and, toxic relationship, yeah, Ramona is not the one for you know she's never broken up she's never been broken up with she's always been the the girl that's broken up with the guy, um you know I, they they do deserve each other, and like you said, if anything, knives deserves so much better than Scott um. You know, she deserves she deserves someone like Young Neil. Um Yeah. You know, someone nice like Young Neil. So yeah, the 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 comic book series, um like the film, is so full of references. It it and it's not just references to video games either, it's also references to music, it's also reference to movies, it's it's just jam fat, packed full of Everything and it's it's no real surprise that I I love it so much I love the series so much I I, I read them probably you know on once a year um and the film as uh you know has has that kind of referential kind of identity as well um you know the video game references are so overflowing you know you you said you 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 loved hearing the Seinfeld thing um for me it's whenever I hear the music from Legend of Zelda Link to the Past um it never fails to bring nothing to me bring ghost bumps um so you know the scene where um scott goes to the bathroom and then he opens up the door and it's the it's the hallway and she comes skating through the hallway that music is from legend of zelda and it's just Mm -hmm. so beautiful um yeah so the film was you know it was was positively received by critics um you know kind of it it now it now has a, a a huge fan following, but it it um it bombed it completely bombed in the US it dropped out of the top ten box office in its second week, um and Universal has deemed the film a financial flop. Um, Edgar Wright's films have never really made much money. I think Baby Driver was his biggest hit so far, um and it, but you know Scott Pilgrim was. <laughs> a huge huge financial flop. I mean it had a budget of about 85 to 90 million and its box office it reached 45 which I mean that's you know that's nowhere near good enough. I think yeah. I think the film if it was made today I think it would be a huge success. I think I think it was ahead of its time. I really really do. You think about how video game culture has kind of gotten a lot more ingrained in the popular culture and especially with you know the younger generations now um saying that as <laughs> i'm saying that now and i just feel really old because i was 20 when the film came out and i'm 30 10 years later and i and I, I have this feeling that the, the younger like the people the younger than me are gonna love this film much much more um and i think you know we had the 10th year anniversary where there was, a, there was a cast reading of the film, there was a lot of articles on the film, and there was just a lot of love outpouring for the film. And I think now, I think it really would be a bigger success. I do think it was kind of ahead of its time. Um, Universal did not know how to market it. I remember the marketing campaign. It was just all over the place. Um. So yeah, uh, I, I want to talk about the cast. Um... So we're getting away from getting away from Michael Sarah. So because let's try try to think about this right. So we got Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza. Um. So this was Anna Kendrick. Now is a big star. Everybody knows her name. Everybody sees her and everything. But she did her first audition for this before she was in Twilight. So this was before she was big. Aubrey. Was
0: Anna Kendrick in Twilight.
1: She was. Yeah, it was one of her first roles um aubrey plaza I, knew
0: I thought she i thought she was ma- only made famous by pitch pitch perfect
1: well she was she was in uh, up in the air uh with george clooney uh she came out in like 2012 um, which is kind of like another no, another I, role for her
0: wasn't up in the Air in 2009
1: might have been 2009 maybe before that. yeah um anyway so like, like i was saying so anna kendrick this was before twilight so before she kind of hit you know a bit more of a bigger standing uh Aubrey Plaza she you know, she she got the part of Scott Pilgrim before she did Parks and Recreation um which is really really insane um Chris Evans uh he I uh, think I remember reading he got the part I think around about the same time he got Captain America um Brie Larson as well at the time hadn't been cast as Captain Marvel um you know this is a long 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 time coming um other there's other actors that i thought this is quite interesting so other actors that were considered for the role of lucas lee were sebastian stan and robert pattinson which wouldn't have worked mm. because i think having chris evans there especially with his kind of him being captain america i think it works so well and i think it's another really really big strength of the film is that as well as having chris evans as captain america you as the evil x number two evil x number three um is todd ingram played by once a superman uh brandon routh um you know so <laughs> scott had to fight captain america superman um you've got jason Schwartzman. <laughs> so we're talking um uh what's his name from rushmore
0: he, i forgot his name i can't Rushmore. i can't remember his name from I mean. yeah so i was just thinking what else is jason schwartzman been in and yeah. I, I, on, on, the only thing i could think of is louis yeah. 17 <laughs> <laughs> from marie Antoinette. <laughs>
1: um yeah and then like um mary elizabeth winstead was in birds of prey as huntress in a dc film Hunt, as huntress so there's comic books thing there like i said brie Harsen um it was captain marvel thomas jane shows up at one point in a cameo as a vegan police officer aka the oh, punisher that was
0: him i thought that face looked familiar
1: yeah so um that kind of brings me on to one of my favorite favorite little bits was the vegan police and yeah, as, as you're, so you're a vegan and i really want to know your opinion on Todd Ingram I'm being not, a vegan. i'm not
0: a vegan i'm trying to be a vegan oh, I'm, trying not, to be I'm not vegan. really vegan
1: so you don't have vegan powers then
0: I do not have vegan powers, no. Not yet. I'm I'm waiting on my vegan powers when I'll decide to become fully vegan. I don't know when that's gonna be. I'm trying. Keep keep I'm not, I'm not there yet.
1: Just beware of the vegan police. I will
0: be um, very much aware of the vegan police.
1: Yeah, my my lovely favorite bit because the the favorite my favorite bit out of that is right after they do the de-veganize Ray and his hair kind of falls out and then Scott headbutts him the the camera is still focused on Scott in like this slow motion but behind you got Thomas Jane and Clifton College Jonah going yeah and high fiving each other in I slow motion. I saw that. I saw that, going like, Yeah,
0: we did it. We did
1: it. Yeah. We... <laughs> and it's 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 one Good. of my favorite moments of the film.
0: That was funny. I I saw them high fiving each other when they were just <laughs> at the door, and it was funny. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's
1: like uh, there's so little editing tricks. I it. the base battle between uh, Scott and Todd is really, really is fantastic. You know, where Scott uh, Todd is floating, and you see him through yeah. the holes in the in the wall, and then the camera pans left, and he walks through the door. Um, it's yeah. so kind of perfectly done. There's so many little like visual jokes and visual. Uh, kind of trickery that's just so so excellent um bill hader was the voice um you know the the, the narrator that you hear every now and then so bill oh. bill that was bill hader uh, everybody loves bill hader um so yeah that this this film is is i I love it it's a, it's a joy um like i said scott scott is a scott is a massive dick and and uh, knives deserves so much so much better than him um <laughs> one last thing for, for our listeners out there who are Arrested Development fans. Um, so May Whitman, who plays Roxy Richter, uh, Evil X number five, four, four, 4? Evil X four, number 4.
0: 5 and 6 are the twins.
1: Twins uh, at the same time. Yeah, so May, <laughs> May Whitman, who plays uh, Evil X number 4, Roxy Richter, um, played uh, Anne in uh, Arrested Development, aka George Michael's girlfriend, um, so there's a little kind of rest of development reference where Michael Sarah says her to Anne um, which if you know your rest of development you'll get that joke and it was it made me happy it's like there's loads of little tiny tiny bits in the film which kind of just shows the amount of care that's in it um yeah I, I I I do I do like this film a lot I I really really do and um i'm really i am actually really happy you liked it i was i was really worried it was a review i read that said that anybody over the age of 25 watching this for the first time would be exhausted by it
0: um like i said i think i might have tuned out of some of the battle scenes especially i mean when he just yeah he gets killed and then he comes back and i'm like why is he coming back how did, you Yeah? um because i was kind of expecting him to you know the video game level thing where he just gets another life and yeah.
1: we with, with kinda of link uh one last thing it's gonna link us on to the film one of the films to we'll talk about next week. Um so the cast uh spent two months in fight training um together before the film uh with the Jackie Chan stunt team um Ooh, that so bring
0: us, brings us full circle to Keaton. it really does Again. so
1: we we yeah so yeah. We, yeah. we, there, there. There's a lot of other things I could talk about. Scott Pilgrim, I could talk about the comic books, and uh, for for quite a while, I could talk about its love of Toronto. Uh Toronto is very famously a, a city that is always shown as never Toronto on screen. Uh, they always go there for tax breaks, and it's always like this is New York when it's actual fact is is Toronto. So um, I know a lot of people online talk about how the film shows Toronto in a light that's never been shown before, and a lot of the places that are, that were shown in the film were actual places are now no longer there. Um, which so if you actually want to go there and visit the visit the place of Scott Pilgrim, which is what I would love to do, it's it's no longer there.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a Exciting trip
1: I would love it i I would actually love it I would really
0: would. <laughs> okay I honestly I
1: really would um uh but one last one last bit um so Michael Sarah as Scott um you didn't really buy him as Scott did you no
0: um
1: so universal suggestion
0: I mean I don't know what Scott is. Yeah, who he, he's just a guy for me. Just, I mean, it doesn't. I have never read the comic books. I don't know who Scott Pilgrim yeah. was supposed to be. That's fine. So I'm just gonna. I, I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, "Oh, that, that's Michael Cera."
1: Yeah, that's that's fair enough, Michael Cera. <laughs> Um So, Universal suggestion for the role of Scott was uh, Seth Rogen.
0: Didn't they do a film together?
1: Um, yeah, they they've done a couple together. They've they've they were in Superbad together.
0: Yeah, Superbad. That's the film that yeah. I wanted. I didn't like.
1: You really like Superbad.
0: I didn't very much. No, I just like a bit boring.
1: Okay. <laughs> think, yeah. All right. That's that's okay. I lo- I I everybody loves Superbad. I'm really surprised. I've met somebody that doesn't like Superbad. I didn't
0: didn't hate it. I watched it. I'm like, okay, those guys are trying to get alcohol and they never manage to, and they get into a lot of mischief. And I'm like, okay, fine
1: as Thanks. as as somebody who was eighteen trying to get alcohol well I under never, the age of I eighteen never tra- grew
0: up I never grew up having that i don't know
1: the amount of the amount of insanity me and my friends went through. I think it's
0: because we were always allowed to buy alcohol, no one stopped us, and we didn't actually buy it because we didn't care you could buy any
1: you were too cool then basically you you were the cool kid
0: well i grew up in romania no one asks for id when you go to the supermarket to buy alcohol (laughs) no one cares if you're just (laughs) gonna drink yourself into a coma if you're 17 seriously and no one actually there's not in my circle of friends in high school we didn't really care that much about alcohol we would be like Let's go watch some movies and talk in, you know, read books and talk about them and talk about movies and speak English usually. That's, that was our English club.
1: Ah, I forgot. I I, I did, I forgot something. I, I did forget something about Scott Burgram. Um, So the soundtrack um was done by Neil Goldrick, who, Nigel Goldrick, sorry, who was the, who is Radiohead's producer. Um, oh yeah, all I know of his name. All of Sex bob bombs songs were written by beck um and he wrote yes and he wrote the songs um basically with the idea that they needed to be kind of under thought and not that great but good enough that you'd actually like them so and i think he really worked i kind of
0: got that vibe yeah it did work
1: um yeah and um yeah basically Uh, metric um was the inspiration for clash at demon head and they you know they contributed the song uh black sheep um and uh brie larson kind of did her own uh vocals for that which was really cool um and we've is is there
0: anything she can't do
1: well she was she was 18 when this film when she was cast um which is insane Uh, really 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 insane um, but anyway, we're we, well. That's kind of it. So, and I, like I said I could talk about this one for hours, and, and, and there's some really, really cool shit about this film.
0: Marion um, Marion Byron was 16 when she did Steamboat Bill Jr.*, by the way. Really? Yep.
1: She didn't look 16.
0: Well, I I don't think she did because of the fashions of the time. Oh, that's but a good point.
1: She was 16. Wow, that's insane.
0: Yeah, she turned 17 at the premiere, I think.
1: Wow. What is. Uh, we we spoke about that last time, didn't we? About Buster Keaton and Young Women, didn't we? Was it Charlie Chaplin we spoke that's about? That's Charlie Chaplin. That uh, was Charlie hey. Chaplin. <laughs> Sorry. I've, I've stuck myself in it now.
0: <laughs> Buster Keaton did not do that.
1: No, Buster Keaton did not do that. That's, that's, yeah, no, he didn't. That was Chaplin. i will talk
0: more about the wives on, on our next episode, I promise. Okay,
1: so that brings us on to the next episode. Um, so, part two of our Buster Keaton 135th birthday spectacular um, is 1923's Our Hospitality, um, directed by Buster Keaton and John G. Uh, Blystone, um, starring Buster Keaton and uh, Joe Roberts and Natalie uh, Talmadge. Is that how you say it? Oh. Talmadge? Um, That's dry and uh, hinted at um, before we'll be talking about um, Police Story from 1985 directed and starring Jackie Chan Um, perhaps Buster Keaton's most famous like basically Jackie Chan is is never made shy about the fact that Buster Keaton is a Mathis influence on him so it made complete sense for us to do a to Jackie include, Chan yeah. film. And I'm so happy to talk about Police Story because it's is insane. Um, I really
0: can't wait because I I have to tell you, it's been so long since I've seen a, a Jackie Chan film and I miss him. Oh, um. So yeah, I'm so really looking forward to it. I'll
1: just talk about, I've got three. So the cast, uh, the three cast I want to talk about is obviously Jackie Chan, uh, Bridget Lin and Maggie Chung.
0: Ooh!
1: i knew you'd I like i knew Cheung. you'd like that i know you, <laughs> you were gonna say maggie chung you're like Ooh. she's so gorgeous
0: she's just so beautiful
1: she is amazing i think this was her first role i th- i can't remember
0: oh looking forward to it i
1: think it was her foot no it was one of it was like yeah it was like a third role third or fourth role which is insane so yeah you get to see a beautiful jackie jack uh, maggie maggie chung um so that is next week Uh. Bleh. So yeah, you can find us like Danny said earlier on our uh, Twitter at Uh drop us an email kinotomic gmail.com. Um, we should be on Amazon podcasts now uh, I think um, yeah, so we're a new a new platform for us to be on. Um, so you know you can look for us on there hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and along with you know Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, you know just drop us a rating. I think Apple, like I said, Apple is the only way you can do it. And but drop us a rating and a review on there would be really, really great. Um, so Danny, where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at KinoJoan and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. and my website is SuperAtomicVision.com. You can also find me on Letterbox. Uh, Nicholas Stewart Chandler. Just search for me on there. Should be able to find me. And that, that is that. So with that, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.
0: And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.